Hello everyone, welcome to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. My name is Avid Kahl and I talk about how you can start, run and sell a bootstrap business. This episode is called The Rewards and Perils of Being Your Own Customer. A quick note before we start, it's Black Friday week and for the very first time in my life I'm on the side of people actually handing out discounts instead of just using them. So my book Zero to Sold will be 20% off on Gumroad for this week. So if you haven't checked it out, or are looking for something to give to your friends or colleagues or your mortal enemies, please just head over to gumroad.com slash l slash zero to sold slash bf20. And if that's too much for you, you'll find the link in the show notes and somewhere in my tweets this week as well. So that's it. And let's just get started with talking about being your own customer. I think there's a number of risks and definitely also a number of advantages to being your own customers. So today I want to talk about how I'm doing this with my current business permanent link, how my girlfriend and I did this with our previous business feedback panda, and I guess also how I failed to do this in the past with other businesses. So what do I mean with being customer number one? I'm talking about using your own product to solve your own problems, scratching your own itch or building your own solution. If you center your business around the need that you feel in your own life, you're customer number one. And let's just really get started with the benefits of scratching your own itch, because that's the stuff that comes most naturally, I think, and the risks we'll talk about later too. One of the most beneficial consequences of being your own customer is that you know when your product is good enough. I think it's much easier to escape things like analysis paralysis when you solve your own problem, because once your product solves that problem that you have sufficiently, you have a working prototype. You know that it's enough, right? You can quickly determine if any given feature belongs in the core product or if it's a nice to have. Because if you need it right now and right here, it's a core feature. It's as easy as that. And if you think you might use this at some later point, well, then it's not a core feature. I think this makes early feature prioritization very easy. Instead of having to guess or assume whether your audience will welcome one particular feature over another, You'll just have the sense of what is most important to get done now. And I think now is always the key concept when it comes to being your own customer. Because if you want to divide your features into core and auxiliary feature groups, then you can rank them by how impactful they are on solving your problem right now. And I've I've written about the DIE and the RICE feature prioritization frameworks in, in my book, Zero to Sold, so you can apply those concepts if you want, but I don't think you need anything as elaborate as this in the beginning, because knowing which features need to be in the core feature group will just happen while you're using the early prototype of your own product. When I started using permanent link to put my stable and traceable links into zero to sold, I immediately ran into issues. I needed particular features like custom domains or editing the URL of a link right there and then. Right? This wasn't about, oh, I can like wait for a couple of weeks. No, if I want to put them in the book, then I needed them. And without those core features, I couldn't just have any level of progress with the book. So I really needed to work on them immediately. Other things, such as analytics, they just were not important at that point. So I deferred them. The only thing I really implemented for that stuff was a way to actually capture the data that might one day be relevant for analytics, but I left building the actual views and reports for a later day because my workflow of getting those links in the book didn't involve any analytics. And 
that that was that was my my moment of understanding why using a feature or using a whole product for yourself being your own customer is so interesting because for every idea that came to my mind every feature idea or everything that I might want to build or might want to have, I could almost immediately place it into either the core or the auxiliary feature bucket. And we did this earlier. I recollected, at least, with Feedback Panda, the, the Atex software as a service business that Danielle and I built and sold last year. She was an online English teacher and the product designer and the, the lead product um, manager. And so anything that immediately helped her solve her problem with student feedback was going to be a core feature. It was as easy as that, right? If it could shave off a few seconds of each piece of feedback that she needed to write, it was something we needed to build quickly. If the feature idea would not have that desired effect, we just put it on the roadmap, but not build it immediately. So the result of this was that the product got more and more efficient every day because we could immediately validate the impact of a feature that um, would occur in the product, but just have it be in a day-to-day workflow of Danielle's teaching. Right? We would build something and she would use it the next day. And if it wasn't doing anything useful, we wouldn't go deeper in this. We wouldn't even like go beyond this little prototypical feature that we would build. So that was really, really helpful. And I think that is the power of being part of your target audience. You don't just understand what problems they have. You actually feel the pain yourself. You know how critical the problem you're experiencing is because you also experience all the other problems in the field. Let's say you're trying to help hairdressers, completely different industry, with your SaaS product. Unless you've ever spent a full day in a hair salon, you're likely looking at an incomplete picture of what their life looks like, right? The the average day in the life of a hairdresser. You might be focusing on how they're interacting with their clients, with their customers, because that's what you see most. But their real trouble could be in, I don't know, how they source their hair coloring products. You'll never know until you've been there, or at least until you have really, really deep and meaningful insight into the actual scope of the problems under which a certain industry operates. Because you're likely just going to be solving one or two of them, but there's hundreds, and they all come in different criticalities and in a certain order, and you have to know where your problem is in that hierarchy to figure out if it's critical enough to warrant paying for a solution, right? And then there's another problem. In many industries, certain things are understood to be unchangeable or just the way they are and always have been. Your attempts at actually trying to make it better might be viewed as an intrusion or as being way too progressive. So being part of your audience allows you to innately understand where people draw the line, how risk averse they are, and how you can communicate new things in understandable terms. That's very important, particularly if you're starting out in an industry. You will need to know the requirements and priorities of the professionals in your niche. And that's very interesting. And um, yeah, it's it's self-required because many of those requirements and priorities are not explicit. More often than not, they're just unwritten rules and they're super hard to find unless somebody tells you about them. And that is more likely to happen when you're already part of a community that your audience is frequenting at all times. So those would be the benefits, but being your own customer isn't going to be the solution to all of your problems. And in fact, you run the risk of creating a few new problems along the way if you are your own first customer. So there are two kinds of risks that I want to talk about and that stand out to me. Both uh, happen to me all the time, and that would be perception risk and attachment risk. 
Perception risk is about a divergence between your own anecdotal experience and the average experience of your target audience. Right? It's just about your workflow not necessarily being the common workflow. And your problems and correspondingly the solutions that you seek might be skewed toward your own outlier perspective. Let's take another example. Let's actually reuse the hairdresser example from earlier. If you're a hairdresser turned entrepreneur and you want to help them, right? you help the, all the other hairdressers in the field, your personal experience will drive your problem analysis. You will remember critical problems from your own salon or working in one or having somebody in the family, you know, and you'll extrapolate that into a general audience of other hair care professionals. It's just what you think. My problems, likely their problems. But what if the problem you had with procuring hair coloring products only occurred because your vendor had a misconfiguration in their inventory software or something, right? Something that is rare and not common to the industry. You had to call them once a week, but other salons would never have to. Well, if you continue that line thinking that everybody has this problem, then you're essentially building a solution that nobody needs because most people don't have the problem. And that's why validation is still an important part of building a business, even when you're your own customer, maybe particularly when you are your own customer. With PermanentLink, I try to actively invalidate my own assumptions from my process of writing and publishing a book at all times. I ran into this issue with link rot, like links stop, stopping to work um, quite early. And that triggered my search for a solution, which I couldn't find, so I built one. But do other writers run into this issue too? Do they run into that issue equally quickly? Or is this something that happens a few years down the road for most, if at all? But those are the questions that I needed to answer for myself and I needed to validate or invalidate my assumptions. And those were also the questions that I asked in my customer exploration calls. The results were quite interesting. The, they actually differed extremely between the authors that I talked to. And if I hadn't checked for that, I would have built and positioned the product around my assumption that people are very aware of this problem. Whereas in reality, some are and some are not. Right? I'm, I'm potentially selling to an audience that is quite widespread among the awareness scale of their own problem even. So I always assume that my experiences and the lessons that I learned as well are an anecdotal. That's really what they are. And that makes any theory of mine something that I try to actively invalidate by asking my prospective customers for their own experiences seeing how they differ from my own, and only then starting to draw conclusions. And that way, perception-based risk and the ever-present selection bias that is inherent to these kind of things are mitigated quite a bit. Not perfectly, not, not everything is solved, right? There's still risk that even when talking to people, I might have selected the wrong people to talk to. But the whole point is to be aware that there might be a bias in this and then actively question every decision you make with the question of, am I being biased right now in mind? So that leaves us, leaves us with the attachment risk. And that just really means over-identifying with the product and being overly attached to certain features of the product. And that risk is the most present risk in my own entrepreneurial ventures. I have to work super hard to stay away from making choices where avoiding losing work is the driving factor, right? Where attachment to things that I've already built, 
that is a really dangerous state of mind. And it's essentially the sunk cost fallacy in action, right? If you have already spent some money on something, better see it through. You've already spent some time working on something, better finish it. And honestly, if you think that what you already have right now needs to be protected at all costs, you're actively sabotaging the agility of your business, right? If you learn something new at any point that requires you to pivot parts of your product or your whole product, you should be open to making that change because that's the best for your business. It's the best for your life. It's the best for your experience, your entrepreneur, entrepreneurship, career, or whatever it's going to be. You should be open to making that change. And thinking that this was hurt, would hurt your pride or dampen your accomplishment is self-defeating because it literally limits your options. But it happens to me all the time. And the problem is that at that point, when you are your own customer and the person making the business or building the business, you're doubly resistant to change as a customer and as a maker. The customer doesn't want their workflow to change, right? The customer in you. And they, a customer like that doesn't want to redo the work that might come with a pivot. In my case, I don't know, permanent link, I, I restructure something significant and I would need to redo every single link that's in my book. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go through my book again and add like 40 links again, right? So I'm resistant to that as a customer. But as a maker, I also don't want my valuable time to be wasted that I already invested into building the product and I don't want to deal with re-evaluating my vision. And that is something that I found is extremely hard to overcome for myself. Being resistant to changing my vision is something that I've also talked about before. And initially, I thought of Permanentlink as an infrastructure product. That was my initial vision, something to provide stable links to writers. But the more I talked to other authors, the more it became clear that their main goal is not to have stable links. The main goal of an, of an author, of a writer, is to make book sales, is to sell their books. And any tool they use should facilitate that or improve those sales. And Permanentlink allows, for the first time in many writers' lives, for some sort of connection between the author and the reader outside of their book. At least that's possible with my tool. So that's something I shouldn't just ignore, but I almost did. Because it just didn't fit this infrastructure product paradigm that I had made up as the vision for my product. I identified way too much with being an engineer and somebody who builds stable infrastructure products. I had forgotten that every author is also a salesperson and a marketer. And being a good technician is not enough, right? You also have to be a visionary and a manager. And for, for that concept, I, I highly recommend Michael E. Gerber's book, The E-Myth, E-Myth Revisited, I guess, because that really shines a light on why we think that by being a domain expert, we can build a business, right? That's good enough. It's really not, right? You also have to do other things. So that's a book I often recommend, and I recommend it here as well, The E-Myth, um, that's going to give you very good insight into how you can make sure that it's not just a technician in you um, talking when you're building a business. And I don't mean necessarily like a software engineer or something like that. Even if you are a good carpenter, right? You cannot necessarily just build a carpeting business just because you're good at woodworking. You also need to source clients and you need to source materials and all these kinds of things. So the e is about an entrepreneurship is more than just being skilled at anything. Right? You also need to be capable of managing and being a visionary. So just side note here at this point. So I, I guess there we have it. Uh, being your own first customer brings a lot of advantages, like a lot of insight into your audience and a lot of feature prioritization ease for your business. But it doesn't come for free. It also comes with risk. 
for um, yeah, just getting essentially in, into a rabbit hole. It's right? just falling falling into a rabbit hole and following your own instincts where you should be validating. And that's the point. The cure to all of these risks, at least partially, right, as far as you can take it, is reflection and validation. And to me, this often happens through the articles that I write and the podcast episodes I record, just like this one. I get to reflect on my problems. I get to spell out all the different avenues a thing could go into, and I get feedback from the founder community afterwards. And I recommend writing down your assumptions about your market, uh, whether you're your own customer or not, doesn't really matter, and just share it with people. And I guess building in public is always a nice approach. And if you don't want to do that, well, just share it with yourself. Read it a couple of days later. The mere act of writing creates a record of your understanding, which is good because you can revisit it later, as well as a chance to share it with your customers in the shape of a question you right? No matter if you're solving your own problem or not, you will eventually have to leave the building and talk to people who you want to help. And you will need their feedback and their insight to make sure that you're not restricting yourself with your anecdata, right? Your anecdotal data from your own experiences. So as long as you consider any assumption you hold to be a theory, you can actively work on trying to invalidate it, to try to find holes in your theory. And if you can find any, that's great. Then it's almost validated. But you can't really validate a theory because any counterexample that you just haven't discovered yet yet at this point might invalidate it. So just try to find as many counterexamples as you can. And if you can't, well, then you might have an interesting theory at your hands. And that way, you'll keep your biases at bay. And you will be able to build a product that doesn't just serve you as the initial customer, but then beyond that, also those who need it most your audience of people who you want to empower and serve. Thank you for listening to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast today. You can find me on Twitter at Avid Kahl, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. And you can check out the blog at thebootstrapfounder.com. You can find my book Zero to Sold at zerotosoldbook.com. And if you're going to buy through Gumroad, then use a BF20 as the Black Friday code and get 20% off. If you have any questions about this episode, reach out on Twitter, send an email to arvid at thebootstrapfounder.com. If you want to support me and the Bootstrap Founder podcast, check out the book or leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. It'll help other founders and founders to be to find the podcast and learn more about starting, running, and selling their bootstrap businesses. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.